welcome to St Patrick's Cemetery as we commemorate the final resting place of the first Celtic captain, James Kelly. Having held ceremonies at the graves of all the 1892 Celtic team, the first Celtic team to lift the Scottish Cup, it's very fitting that we leave the last ceremony to the captain, James Kelly, on the exact date of that historic victory, 125 years ago today. But please welcome, first of all, the Kelly family to this event. Welcome today's speakers, Celtic Chief Executive Peter Lowell. It's been a momentous week for our beloved club, with six in a row clinched for the third time in our history. The first time we did it, James Kelly was chairman, and with Brendan Rodgers signed up for four more years, <coughs> we all look forward with fever pitch already to ten in a row. <laughs> A couple of European finals would be nice too, Peter. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. But it really is a great time to be alive. We'd like to thank everyone at Celtic, including the Celtic support, players, management, board, who have delivered these fantastic times. And it's only going to get better. Next up is Lisbon Lion Jim Craig. Not only is Jim a Celtic legend, for the part he plays in bringing the Big Cup home from Lisbon. We also played a major part in nine in a row, the target we have to beat. <laughs> then you'll just be forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Celtic legend Neil Lennon. Hopefully Neil's making his way here, and if he does arrive, we'll slot him straight in. We also have with us today former Celtic captain, Celtic legend Danny McGrain. Not only was Danny one of the best fullbacks we ever had, he was also one of the best in the world. And Danny's confirmed he's got another speaking to have to do. Our next speaker then is Terry Dick, son of Glenn Daly, who wrote the Celtic song. Terry is a Celtic Graves raconteur extraordinaire. <laughs> who always brings a story to life with his incredible passion, as you will see. We then welcome Nora Kelly, great-granddaughter of James Kelly, to speak on behalf of the family. I have to say that it's been an absolute pleasure to work with the Kelly family ever since Kevin Kelly kindly gave the Celtic Grave Society permission to hold this event, and we thank them from the bottom of our hearts. Last but certainly not least, representing the oldest living Celtic captain, Duncan Mackay, who was a captain before Billy McNeil. We are present today all the way from Melbourne in Australia. And also his grandson, Finlay. Where's Finlay? Finlay's in the back there. Duncan will say a few words. Please again, give a, give a warm welcome to the Australian selves. Yeah. After the speeches, Father Tom White from St Mary's, the parish of Celtic's birthplace, 
will conduct the blessing of the headstone, which has been restored for today's event by Dan Rooney. We will then lay some flowers at the grave before I'll say a few words of thanks and close the ceremony. Ladies and gentlemen, when we think of the most significant signings Celtic have ever made, we could think of Henrik Larsson, a snip at 650,000, Moussa Dembele at 500,000, or we could think of the Lisbon Lions, local boys who took us to the very top. But the most significant signing Celtic has ever made was one of the first ever in 1888, that of James Kelly. For when James Kelly signed, others followed. And Willie Maley described the significance of the signing with the words, no Kelly, no Celtic. To survive where many others had failed in 1888, the Celtic committee knew we had to be successful. And so our number one target was the Scotland captain from Renton, who had already won two of the last four Scottish Cups, as well as the last three Charity Cup finals <coughs> with Renton. He was the best centre half in the country, and was part of the Renton team, who were crowned champions of the world in 1888, after the Scottish Cup holders beat the English Cup holders West Brom 4-1, an unofficial decider. In an article decades later, James Kelly's best friend, Wally Doyle, described the scene as Kelly signed for Celtic in front of himself, John Glass and John O'Hara. And this is a quote. Jimmy Kelly wouldn't make a move unless Willie Doyle approved. And so it came about that he was asked to weigh up the pros and cons of an offer made to his chum. Willie Doyle, Jimmy Kelly and two top-hatted figures sat around a table and one of the latter produced a document at the top of which were the words Celtic Football Club. Below that was the name of the first signing Willie Maley. Willie Doyle nodded gleefully and so we even so went down the name of James Kelly in Celtic folklore. Willie Doyle remained a family friend with the Kellys and he was employed as one of our first ever Celtic talent scouts. His eyewitness account appears to show that it was Celtic's ambition and not just our posturings that attracted James Kelly. It's amazing what you find out at Celtic residents. <laughs> But Kelly's signing was an announcement of Celtic's arrival and it was a statement of intent that we would overcome all obstacles as we were here to stay. At 5 foot 8 and 11 stone, he was strong, sturdy and industrious, but also had great speed and linked superbly with the defence and the five-man attack. He was a born leader who led us out on our first ever match on 28th of May 1888 and they scored the second goal in our 5-2 win with a powerful header, another of his specialities from a corner, just before half-time. On 1st September 1888, James Kelly made his first start for Celtic in the Scottish Cup, along with Neil McCallum from Renton and six players from Hibs. In doing so, they had all committed to Celtic for the season. It was a red-letter day for Celtic. Just a week later, Celtic lost in the final of the Exhibition Cup and after being jeered and spat on as soon as we came out of the tunnel, Celtic President John Glass came away with this famous quote after the match. Let them scoff and jeer. Celtic will yet win to a proper position 
by our own merits and those who scoff today will one day have to applaud how right he was to those words up above Celtic Park <laughs> <laughs> after signing for Celtic James Kelly moved from Renton to 155 James Street, Bridgeton just behind Bridgeton Cross and he was forced to answer to press stories that Celtic had paid £650 for a pub to lure him to the club. Just like he was on the pitch, he didn't hold back off it, as he wrote to the paper who made this claim with the following quote. In this wonderful production, there is a paragraph from which it might be inferred that I am indebted to my club for a start in business. I am neither anxious to advertise this jargon nor my own private affairs, but in private, to my Scottish friends, club and myself, it is but right that I should let the babblers know that the statements are mere imagination. There is no truth in them whatsoever. My worldly circumstances, without ever being too rosy, have always been sufficient to enable me to conduct my own affairs without any extraneous support whatsoever. I have always been able to paddle my own canoe Although not a millionaire, without material help from my friends, and I still hope to work my way through life in the future as in the past, and will still play football in Scotland and for Celtic for the love of the game only. But taking on the media, James Kelly showed that he was a leader of men, both on and off the pitch, and it was no surprise when he was elected onto the Celtic committee as early as the 1890 AGM. Off the pitch, another important step in James Kelly's career came in 1893 when Scottish football caught up with English football and introduced professionalism. Incredibly, James Kelly and Willie Maley, both nearing the end of their careers, refused to turn professional and stated that they would end their careers as they had started as amateurs, playing solely for the love of the game. Despite the club's attempts, both players remained amateur, whilst the rest of the team were professional until 1895. James Kelly, in fact, played for two other clubs apart from Wren and Celtic. And I bet even Pat Woods doesn't know who those two clubs are. He signed to play for amateur club Roamers to play friendly matches for charity in 1893. He also represented Rangers in a five-a-side tournament in Edinburgh in 1892 when it was commonplace for players to guest for other clubs. We won't hold that against no. the <laughs> We'll delete that bit. <laughs> also in 1893, whilst playing for Scotland against England in London, James Kelly was part of the Celtic contingent, met by Brother Walfred at Euston Station, and he was welcomed with open arms. His playing career was summed up as briskly sparkling as champagne and as deadly effective as undiluted double proof. I think I must have been a Bells Hill man that wrote that. <laughs> and so, when the club became a limited liability company in 1897, it was no surprise that James Kelly was elected to the board where he served as chairman from 1909 to 1914. It was a board he was to remain on right up until his death in 1932 having served Celtic as a player, committee man, board member and chairman for 44 of his 67 years. 
1911, James Kelly again met Brother Walfred when the founding father travelled with the Celtic team from Folkestone to London as we returned from a tour of Europe. The first ever sketch of James Kelly as a player is on the front of the booklet and the last pictures we have of him is on Celtic duty when he travelled with the club on our tour of America in 1931, which proves that Celtic were his passion right up until his death a year later. Of Celtic's 100 major trophies, James Kelly played a part in almost a third with 17 league titles and 13 Scottish Cups. But we'll leave the final word to his great friend, Willie Bailey. May the tough he loved to tread in, in life, rest kindly on him in his last sleep. Thanks very much. Please welcome. Just a few words from me. Um, Terry and Jim and Noah, I'm sure, are far more able and far more knowledgeable than myself in terms of James Kelly. But it's an honour to be here today, and thanks for the invite, Brendan. Um, it's a great day. It's the anniversary of the 125th anniversary of winning our first trophy, which is very special. And clearly, 100 trophies on. It's a privilege to represent this club uh, as one of its custodians. Uh, James Kelly clearly was one of the uh, James Kelly was one of the, the first custodians and one of the, the first leaders of Celtic football club. And the Kelly family's influence over the uh, huge part of Celtic's history has been has been massive and very very relevant. That, those early leaders set the, the standards and set the values of Celtic that we know and cherish so well today. And over that hundred years since. The people that ran Celtic have tried to be faithful to those values, to those standards, and even today as one of the custodians, again the privilege of one of the custodians, to take those unique standards and values forward. It's vital that we, we remember people like James Kelly. Uh, it's who we are, it's our DNA, it's the club. I was brought up with the Lions. Uh, in fact, I was brought up with stories of Duncan Mackay, Willie Fernie, Johnny Crumb, Patsy Gallagher, Bobby Collins uh, around the dinner table and listening to these great stories. Our first game is watching the Lions and I've hopefully passed that on to my children and hopefully they'll pass it on to their children. Then of course with the quality street kids, Danny McGray, David Hay, Kieran DeVries, Louis McCarthy. Great times, great memories that will stay with you forever. So we've all got a duty, particularly us that are running the club at the moment, to keep these memories alive, to pass them on to future generations. And at that, I think I'd like to pay tribute to the Celtic Grave Society, Brendan and the Lions, the magnificent job they do. Uh, not only here in Scotland now, but abroad, England and abroad. Uh, two Celtic men with two Celtic purpose and motivation. So thanks for the invite, Brendan. Thanks for being here. Uh, such a special day, and thanks for all the great work you guys do. Very much appreciated. Brendan, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, this is one seriously good player, uh, James Kelly, with a wonderful career. Uh, not the biggest man, as you can imagine, for a centre half, but in those days the game was played slightly differently from the way it was played maybe 30 years after that, because it started off as one full back, one half back, and eight forwards. Now, footballers are not as thick as they're made out to be, and very quickly the eight forwards realised that if you're in a straight line, it's very difficult to pass to somebody because he's right beside you and there's a great chance of getting the ball intercepted. 
So they changed the system. They put two fullbacks and two halfbacks and six forwards, two of whom were wide on each flank and two through the middle. And that way they could do triangular passing movements and the game became much more a kind of structured affair. And by the time James Kelly came to Celtic in the late 80s, it had changed again because they realised that they needed a presence at the back who could come forward. So the centre-half role came into operation and that's what James Kelly played. He was a centre-half who came forward. Uh, he would have defensive duties as well, but he was allowed to come forward and attack. And I noticed that in that cup final, I went to the website and I found the report from the Glasgow Herald of that cup final 125 years ago. And it says in 20 minutes, uh, Queen's scored, although Kelly did his utmost to reach the ball, still going through, but failed. And at half time, it was still 1-0 to Queen's. And then Celtic opened up the second half and got five goals. And at the end, it says, Kelly was in great form throughout and fairly rebel in his work. So there we are. I think it's when a man rises to a challenge, you get a sign of what a man he was. So he played at a wonderful time for Celtic and was an excellent servant for the club. And I, I think I can safely speak on behalf of Celtic fans throughout the world when I thank, first of all, the members, congratulate, I should say, first of all, the members of the Kelly clan who are here today for having such a distinguished ancestor and also thank them for giving such a, a, a real personality to the cause of Celtic. Thank you very much. Good afternoon everyone, it's a great privilege and pleasure to be here. What is it that makes a Celtic captain? What qualities must a man possess to lead our great club? What is the essence, element or a star quality charisma, whatever you want to call it, that sets one man above the rest? Is it the majestic presence of McNeil and the podium high above the pitch at Lisbon? Or the intelligence, power and authority of Jopstein. Then there is the industry of Evans or Peacock, the persuasive affability of John McPhail, or perhaps the technically sophisticated fullback play of Duncan Mackay. Must the Celtic captain possess the inspirational drive of Roy Aitken, or perhaps the military bearing of Willie Lyon? An undoubted quality would be the distinguished pedigree of the McStay family, with a century-long commitment to the traditions and the ethos of the club. Vitally essential too is the consummate professionalism and consistently excellent performance levels of Boyd, McNamara or McGrain. While the Celtic grit and fighting spirit of the old-timers, Hay, Young, Kringen and Orr is retained to this day. And indeed, when we walk through a storm and paradise seems all but lost, we have been rallied and sustained by the fiery, indomitable presence of Neil Lennon. Our arms extended, eyes piercing by the Bruni, <laughs> Scott's intimidatory stare, making the characters of Norman Bates, Hannibal Lecter, <laughs> or Jack Nicholson in The Shining seem almost <laughs> All in that litany of inspirational leaders have made a unique and significant contribution 
in their captaincy of the club. But one quality remains constant, running consistently through the ranks from the break clubs to Barca. One unifying feature has been shared by them all. For all of them, the club and the team were of preeminent importance. As one contemporary film character put it, for a captain, the badge and the name in the front of the jersey is always more important than the one in the back. Celtic captains can also draw on another traditional resource. It is what lyricist Labby Sifri has called something inside so strong, an almost indefinable quality, which throughout our history has allowed our team to achieve great things. So that even when conventional wisdom says it can't be done, it's impossible, second best is all you can expect. Celtic teams, captains and supporters have replied in the spirit of Seafrae's line, well, we're going to do it anyway. In the process, bringing back to Celtic Park the glittering prizes of the game. The Celtic captain must be a Celt on and off the field, for he's not just a leader of the players, but also of a broader community, the Celtic family. A focus for their aspirations, their dreams and their pride in the team, which for them is always more than a club. And when dreams are tossed and blown in defeat or disappointment, it is to the captain that they look to reaffirm our pride in the past and our faith in the future and reassure us that the Glasgow Celtic will be there. A grand old team was only at the dawn of its history when James Kelly made his bow as Celtic captain. Leading a team, playing in a place built by the supporters, affectionately referred to as the Old Quarters by Brother Walford, whereas Willie Maley said that wonderful scheme of things came to fruition. It was indeed a golden period when his distinguished actor John Kearney has said the first Celts breathed a finer kind of air, imbued with the spirit of Walfred, the idealism of Dr John Conway, and the drive of John Glass. And certainly in Victorian society, as someone once said, there was a buzz about the place. For Holmes and Watson, the game was afoot for the very first time. Residents of a foggy white chapel shivered when they thought of Jack the Ripper. Buffalo Bill's Wild West show with Annie Oakley, Sitting Bull and Sue Warriors was appearing in Glasgow Green. The cast was resident in Duke Street, where even today, in a particularly Glasgow homage, the local residents reenact battle scenes from the show regularly on a Friday and Saturday night. <laughs> Great Glasgow favourites made their first appearance. Woodbine cigarettes, the original coffin nails, Tunnock's Tea Time Treats and Tenet's Lager, an HP sauce, a must for half-time pies, with quite inexplicably a label written in French. A young Stan Laurel was still blissfully unaware of the terrors of the Tron Gates panopticon audiences, who threw fish heads, rotten eggs and fruit, and material deposited by horses 
on the pavements outside and unfortunate performers before they were mercifully rescued by the hook. Yes, Glasgow in that day was definitely the city where no turn was left unstoned. <laughs> <laughs> Poetic epitaphs may have been written for Tennyson, Manly Hopkins and Browning, but Celtic supporters could still wax lyrical, for bliss was it in that dawn to be alive. Kelly-led Celtic was a team of superstars even before the term was invented. They thrilled and entertained. They were billed theatrically as the greatest team in the world. They were certainly the best damn team in Scotland and beyond. James Kelly led a galaxy of stars, legends remembered wherever green is worn. Willie Maley, later to be a manager without equal, the man who made the Celtic. Johnny Madden, the master of back heels, flicks and feints and swerves, a deep thinker in the game, remembered today as the father of Czech football. Deadly goal scorer, Neely McCallum, the shadow. The great Johnny Campbell, a double winner on both sides of the border, captain of his country and a top scorer in the English league. And what a sense of occasion he had, scoring inaugural goals at the great cathedrals of football in Tyneside and in Birmingham. Sandy McMahon, the Duke, tearing defences apart with pace and power, leaving despairing defenders in his wake. And they had personalities. At fullback, Jerry Reynolds, the man with the iron head, and the larger-than-life figure of Dan Doyle, the wild rover, flamboyant, glamorous, romantic. On his deathbed, he said, at least my old legs have made a little bit of Celtic history. And then, of course, there was James Kelly himself, a world-class performer with a Scottish internationalist, two Scottish Cup winners before joining Celtic, a dynamic attacking centre-half, dominating and controlling games, strong in the tackle and powerful in the air, and with a goal or two in his locker, often celebrated with a dramatic, joyous triple somersault. And he understood that very modern methodology of psyching out opponents, of unsettling and unnerving them. On one occasion, allegedly arranging for a visiting Queen's Park side to be locked out of the dressing room. Kelly as captain had the ability to inspire and encourage, to bring the best out of others, to organise tactically to perfection, and most importantly, to lead by example. He was a major sporting star, enjoying a level of celebrity in Victorian Scotland, comparable to any other public figure. Willie Brown was just an ordinary East Ender. He lived alone in a single end in Orr Street near St Mary's, still lit by gas in the 1960s. He was a fervent Celtic supporter, unfailingly making the pilgrimage to paradise 
for every game from A team to first 11. His regular stance was beside the old tunnel and from there he saw the greats that passed in that way and many more of course who passed into obscurity. I was privileged to know Willie and when I think of him I call a line from an, recall a line from an old revivalist hymn. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story. For I was enthralled by his Celtic tales from long ago, some drawn from his own recollection, but many from the folk memory of the East End Celtic supporting community. Europe may have been divided by an invisible iron curtain, Kennedy and Castro toe-to-toe -to -toe over Cuba, the Mercy Beat conquering the world. But for me, it was the mighty atom, Patsy Gallica. Miracles from the Prince of Goalkeepers, the great John Thompson, and the human torpedo, Jimmy McGrory, horizontal, bulleting yet another header into the opposition net. But Willie was different from those who stood around him. He had worn the colours. He had scored the goal in that pitch, which for most could only ever be a field of dreams. And it was from this old cell that I first heard the story of the 1892 cup-winning team. Of how, on the 9th of April that year, Captain James Kelly and a group of local heroes had brought the Scottish Cup back to the Carlton to rest for the very first time in the newly built paradise. The old man's account was vivid, passionate and very accurate. For the East End indeed was in carnival mood, all a perfect turmoil, thronging, singing, cheering joyful crowds, brass bands playing songs of victory. Willie often retold a favourite anecdote, a memory handed down from his parents of Celtic captain James Kelly presenting Johnny Campbell, the two-goal hero of the final, trophy held aloft to receive the adulation of the crowd who had gathered outside St Mary's Hall. Just a nice bit of early public relations, you might think. But it was much more significant than that. For in that moment, James Kelly was reaffirming and acknowledging that unshakable Celtic bond that exists between those who watch and those who play. A unique relationship that ensures that our club will indeed never walk alone and always have the inspirational backing of an amazing support as it continues to pursue the glory and the dream. The book of Proverbs tells us that where there is no vision, the people perish. And our club has endured from Maley to Rogers, from James Kelly to Brown, because that vision of the founding fathers has been conveyed by successive managers and captains to our players. James Kelly was the first in that distinguished series. And indeed, without his iconic leadership, there may indeed have been no Celtic. And what is now one of the world's great clubs, 
would be as distant as a memory as long-forgotten emeralds, shamrocks, errands and emmets. James Kelly is indeed a Celtic great, a greatness determined by his outstanding ability and achievement, his lifelong service as player, director and chairman, his iconic and trophy-winning captaincy. James Kelly just didn't play for the Celtic, he lived for the club. It became a way of life. From that very first day against Rangers Swifts, he embraced and committed himself to the Celtic cause. His involvement from the beginning was a major factor in the very survival of the club. He stepped into the unknown. He lived a dream and he helped make it become a reality. Today gathered here, we remember prayerfully and with respect our first captain, James Kelly. We recall rightly too that Victorian band of brothers who wore the green with such distinction and skill in that groundbreaking Scottish Cup winning side. And we cherish too the memory of those dear happy ghosts whose names and traditions we inherit, who cheered the victorious Celts to the echo. The memory is evergreen, the achievement undiminished by time. A wonderful Celtic 11, inspirationally led by Kelly. Like our newly crowned champions, they played with professionalism, with pride, dignity and a certain style of play. With the poet Yeats, we murmur name upon name in their honour. In the Celtic narrative, their glory never fades. They are always the bold Bahoys of 92, the history boys, Kelly's heroes, a legendary and very grand old team to play for. Hi everyone. First of all, I'd like to thank you all for coming and taking time out of your Sunday to be here with us today. And on behalf of the Kelly family, I'd like to say a personal thanks to all the organisers of and the contributors to today's memorial. Um, we feel really honoured and privileged and very, very proud uh, to stand here today to celebrate James and his life. And I wonder what you would think, seeing us all here, his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, some great-great-grandchildren. What a wonderful legacy and I hope he would be as proud of us as we are of him. And we want to take today some time to thank him for, for having taken this great opportunity that he was given and making such an amazing success of his life. He came from really <coughs> humble beginnings. In fact, it's amazing to think that his own mum and dad were illiterate and they signed their marriage certificate with crosses. It fills us with a, a sense of pride that we stand here today as his descendants honouring earlier Kelly families who came through so much. Uh, I hope
James would be delighted too with the fact that his passion for his beloved club lives on in every one of us. We all have and will continue to have a really deep love of the club, which will never fade. The fact that his son Bob, together with Jock Steen, took the club to Lisbon to win the European Cup is also a matter of great pride and a legend in our family. And in this anniversary year, it's fitting that we remember this amazing achievement. James was one of ten children, six boys, four girls. Went on to have ten children of his own, six boys and four girls. <laughs> Theirs was a happy home. But how sad it must have been for the whole family when his eldest boy, Frank, was tragically killed in an accident in Montargis in France in 1919. Understanding his family's immigrant status, it's clear that at the time his family would have been really, really grateful to Celtic for the opportunity to play for them and the financial rewards he accrued. Later in life, his business success, his philanthropy and respect in the community helped to propel him to other positions in society such as Justice of the Peace and County Councillor. He was involved a lot in the community in Blanta, especially interested in education serving on the school board. And maybe some of these positions that he held in later life were nominal, but, but they do illustrate just how much organisations wanted to be connected to him in some way, and how increasingly football was becoming an important part of everyday Scottish life. His connection to the club was lifelong, and as was already said, he voyaged with Celtic as club ambassador uh, with Tom Maley on Celtic's 1931 tour of North America, just before he died. His business interests included wine and spirits. <laughs> we all like some wine and spirits in our family too. Which uh, saw him move to Blanta to his beloved home, Thornhill. He was also owner of the Horseshoe Bar, also known as Kelly's Bar, director of Blanta Engineering and Presswick Picture House. A lot has been said today about his sporting ability. We've read and we've heard that he was one of the fastest centre-halves that Scotland has ever produced, who came to Celtic with a great passion for pa the passing game that is so favoured by the present manager of Celtic. We were all talking recently in the family about how much we just wished that we could have seen him play, cheered him on, and imagine how proud he would have been had he been alive today to see Celtic win their sixth consecutive title in such style last Saturday. However, he was more than a footballer, and it has been said that it was James's personality that laid the foundation for the club's success. And for that, we are proud to honour him and we remember him today. James, we will never forget you. Duncan, I know you've got a flight to catch back to Australia. <laughs> I'm a bit, a bit overawed here. I, I might just kind of fall out of this, man. Is that okay? I'm, a bit, I'm totally a bit shy. You know? Just say a few words. Look, what I can say is. Um, my dad was asked by a school teacher you know, when he was in primary school, what, you know, what did he wanted to be? And he wanted to play football, but above all, he wanted to play for Celtic. And he followed his dreams, and he accomplished that. And not just that, he captained Celtic. And we're half a world away, but we're a main Celtic family, so that's all I'm going to say. Did you not say that uh, Jim Craig... To my dad's job, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about your dad just now? Look, he's, he's not very well, 
and he's quite frail, but I think he'd be pretty overawed to get back with a few photographs. And, you know, and anyway, so it's very nice. Very nice. Thanks, you Thank you. When I left the Carlton, it was tap-zap weather. No one would be responsible for freezing you to death, so the prayers will be brief. We'll just do a couple of rosaries. <laughs> when it comes to weather, I always remind people I'm simply sales, not management. <laughs> someone just before and they mentioned there that an event like today which is football family and faith for some is a perfect recipe so I'm delighted to represent as I do on many occasions the spiritual home of Celtic the parish of St Mary's the people of the Calton and as we honour the memory of James I think it's evident from the beautiful tombstone the role that faith plays. This is not simply a memorial, it's a sign of hope that one day we will all be gathered again in the resurrection from the dead. So we begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, through the death of your Son on the cross, you destroyed <coughs> her death through his rest in the tomb, you have hallowed the graves of all who believe in you, and through his rising again, you restored us to eternal life. God of the living and the dead, accept our prayers as we recall the memory of James and all those of the Kelly family who rest in the sleep and hope of rising again. Since they were true to your name on earth, let them praise you forever in the joys of heaven. We ask this. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, through whom the faithful departed find rest, send your holy angel to watch over this grave, that those who now rest will one day be joyfully gathered together with all the saints in heaven. For we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. For all who have been associated with are associated with the club and who are passed on we ask that God welcomes them the broad Celtic family of all faiths and none that they enjoy the hope of those who believe in Christ eternal rest grant unto them O Lord and let the light shine upon them may the rest of peace may the souls of the souls of all the faithful departed to the mercy of God rest in peace to offer you the blessing of Almighty God at the start of Holy Week. Um, just make sure you get a Lanarkshire before it gets dark. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord be with you. <laughs> May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come down upon you and those dear to you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. If anyone would like to lay some flowers at the graveside. <laughs> <laughs>
Finlay Mackay all the way from Australia. Oh, <laughs> Closing, we'd just like to thank everyone for attending this special commemoration. We'd like to thank all our speakers. We'd like to thank in particular the Kelly family. With the 50th anniversary of Lisbon coming up, we have a small gift we'd like to make to Lisbon Lion and Celtic Graves Society patron, Jim Craig. the next night in front of 3,000 people and make them laugh. I said one joke and he said yeah. So I told him a story about the day I met the Pope in Bears Den when he came to visit a teacher's training college. He said I'll make it very quick. Anyway, I um, I went to see the Pope eventually and uh, we had a nice chat and he said you were really unlucky that day son. I remember it well. That was never a penalty. <laughs> so anyway, I came back and after I was back two days, the phone went one night and you'll remember the days that the phone was in the hall attached to the wall, you know. And Elizabeth said, there's a lady on the phone for you from STV. So I went out and I uh, said, hello. And she said, is that Jim Craig? And I said, yes. Miss Craig, we'd like to come and interview you. I said, what about it? She said, well, the day you met the Pope. And I'd made the whole thing up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm standing like that, wondering what to say, you know. <laughs> In the end, I said I was too busy to be interviewed. <laughs> I Sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Stand together. 
looking down and on some smiles on what he sees In this place called paradise united in belief Through the wind and through the rain and throughout history We won't forget our brother's dream Street.